1: life if you give your
0: heart and believe what's done for you you'll be set
1: for life with the treasures stored up in heaven when you're through you'll be set for life you ever feel small I mean sometimes do things ever happen that just make you feel like you're just an inch tall? Well, sometimes we go through things like that, and rather than let that frustration own you, you can turn it back and own the frustration and make it work for you instead of letting it beat you up. Well, today we're going to see somebody who was very, very small get used by God in a great big way. 1 Kings 17 And Elijah, the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord of God, Israel lives, before whom I stand. There shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now this was quite a sharp attack against Ahab's worship of Baal because it was believed by the people at the time that Baal was the god of rain and fertility and life and that so that it was Baal's responsibility to make it rain. So here he come Elijah whose name means Yahweh is my God, (laughs) he came and said, there's going to be no rain except when I say so. Now, if you remember back when the Lord sent the plagues on Egypt, it wasn't just plagues to hurt the Egyptians, but each plague had a significance about it to disprove the various false gods that they had been worshiping in Egypt. There was a frog-like God they had. There's a curse of frogs. Uh, Blood in the Nile. They worshiped the Nile because that was their lifeline out there. God was disproving all of their false god systems with each plague. It was to judge the people, but it was also to disprove the gods they were worshiping that, hey, your gods are non-existent. They can't do anything for you because they're not even real. You need to look at the God of Israel. So can you imagine the scene here? King Ahab is in there busy worshiping Baal, and one of his servants comes in, and he says, Excuse me, your majesty, but Mr. Yahweh is my God is here to see you. (laughs) Right when you're doing Baal worship. That's what you call an attention getter. But also look at what Elijah said. He said, As sure as the Lord lives. As the Lord lives. Not Baal. He come in there to denounce Baal and to rebuke the king for worshiping Baal. His name means Yahweh is my God, not Baal is my God. And he came and said, as sure as the Lord lives. Can you see the setting here? Elijah was communicating to King Ahab, who was worshiping Baal. He said, my God lives, but yours doesn't. My God lives, but yours does not at all. So Elijah's message really struck at the heart of Baal worshippers that Yahweh God is the one who controls the weather, not Baal. Through this drought, the Lord was going to prove to Israel with demonstration, with visible, seeable proof. I don't know if seeable is a word or not, but it is now. <laughs> you heard that first on Set for Life. Seeable proof that Baal was a total falsehood. I have to admit, I would have loved to seen that confrontation go down between Elijah and Ahab. That would have been great. First Kings 17 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Get away from here, and turn eastward, and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. (laughs) Whoa, the birds brought him stuff to eat. That's crazy, but it's real. That's God. Obviously, after throwing such a stern warning and a stern rebuke, a hard-to-swallow statement like that, offensive even. Straightened King Ahab's face, Elijah needed a place to run off to because the king would put out a hunt to have him killed, but the Lord gave him an escape route. And Christians, that's what I want you to pay attention to in this, is that the Lord called a man to do something. It wasn't easy work. The Lord may call you to do some uneasy work that's hard to do, but don't worry. He gives you provision and he gives you a place of refuge to rest. He will protect you and provide for you. So the Lord gave him an escape route. A pre-established place to go. However, the place where the Lord told him to go, it was a seemingly unlikely place to take refuge because there was nothing out there. Just a few little dry little streams. If it got hot enough, they would dry up. It was way out east of the Jordan River in a remote area that just, you wouldn't think that's the place to go. But that's exactly why go there, because they're going to be looking for you. They'll never think you went there. But how am I going to get by? See, the Lord will call you to things, and you're like, "How am I supposed to do this, God? How it doesn't make any sense. How do I get by?" You leave that to the Lord and let Him deal with it. Not only that, though, but ravens were not considered kosher animals because they were they were scavengers. You'd call them dirty birds. They would eat off the roadkill off the side of the road. They were considered unclean. But the birds themselves were not the food. They were the delivery system. The Lord uses whatever He wants. Everything is His. All of creation. All of the money in the world is his. It belongs to him. The whole earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. And so he commanded the birds to go out and feed him. Now, we don't know what kind of meat they brought, but whatever it was, Elijah probably built a fire and cooked it and ate it and he had all the water he needed off the stream. Now, this was uncomfortable ministry work because he's out there distant by himself. He was at a place where he could not take care of himself, but the Lord did not lead Elijah to a place where he couldn't have what he needed. The Lord provided for him regardless. So there's a hundred reasons for Elijah to say, no, going all the way out there, that's that's not smart, God. God, that's not the best way to go. But friends, it was God's way. And oftentimes, God will tell you to go do things that doesn't look too smart. I mean, it's like, God, why do you want me to do this? But when it's God's way, you better obey it because that's the best way. The main thing here to recognize is that God called Elijah to do some hard work, but he gave him a way out with a promise of provision to go along with it. 1 Kings 17, 7. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Let's look at the snapshot right here. God told Elijah, go to this location. He picked it. This is where I want you to go, only to have the brook dry up on him. Now, you're th- a lot of people would think, well, God, you're the one that told me to come here. Now you're going to dry up the brook of the very place you sent me to? This is the point where a lot of people get upset. Lord, I obeyed you. I followed. And now look what's going on. Why, why did I obey you only to come out here and, and have this happen? And people ask, they question God, why am I here? You ever ask God that? What am I doing here? Why am I here? But that's also what the Israelites said to God when he took them out of Egypt into the desert. They said, why would you bring us out here just to kill us? When Friends, when we can only see as far as our own hand, we tend to make it all about ourselves. Lord, why would you do this to me? Why is this happening to me, 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 me? It's all about me. The whole world is all about me. We need to remember that God uses us to glorify himself. And oftentimes that requires us to be moved from where we were accustomed to being, where things were pretty good We're tended to, birds are bringing my dinner, I got a nice brook, and you want me to leave again, what? See, it's all about me again. You can't go that way or you'll miss what God's trying to do. And so God dried up the brook to move Elijah to this starving family here, this widow and her son, so that he could glorify himself before them. See, it's not about just Elijah anymore, it's not just about me, it's now about other people who are also hurting as well. The Lord God was going to save their lives so that they would not die. Now, there had been such a famine in the land at that time. Even Jesus referred back to, to this time in Luke four twenty four. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel during the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Elijah was sent to this one widow. And Jesus said there was a lot of widows around. There's a bunch of them, but this particular one was chosen. So remember, the Lord told Elijah, this one particular widow, The poor one who's about to die, who has nothing left to eat, even though when she eats it, she knows she's about to starve to death. She's the one that's going to give you something to eat. (laughs) Now, guys, I know you're looking at the story and you're thinking this makes no sense. Of all the widows in the entire land of Israel, God chose her of all of them. Many widows in the land at that time. Why this one? Why the poor one? Why the one that's just about to die? Aren't there other widows that are a little better off than her? God chose her to be the one to give Elijah something to eat. And she didn't have much of anything left. Well, it doesn't make sense to us because, remember, we have a limited view. We are finite beings. God is not. Also add to the fact that in the region, Where the widow lived, that was about 90 miles or so away from where Elijah was staying. And so Elijah's faith was tested by having to get up and travel 90 miles or so to that distance. Imagine all the widows that are living through all of Israel, and you're going to pass 90 miles of them, and you're not allowed to stop and ask any of them for for this particular favor here. You got to go to the one that's just about broke and done and gone. But did you notice that after Elijah was tested to go in all that distance, to trust in the Lord, okay, 90 miles, he got his faith tested. But did you notice how Elijah also tested the widow? He asked her for a drink, okay? Uh, there's some water around. We can do that. So she started to go get it. And so since her response was to go get him a drink, she says, I'll do that. Then Elijah immediately pushed her even further by asking for some bread to eat. Okay, the the drink I can do, but the food, we're going to have a problem here. But Elijah asked her anyway. Elijah knew very well that it was not exactly the right proper kind of protocol to ask widows during a famine for something to eat. Because typically during a famine, widows were the first ones to die because they had nobody looking out for them. They were widows. They were considered to be the bottom of the the latter they were a bottom rank they were the lowest of the low in all of the land you're a widow society told them you are nothing you're nothing you're nobody they would die first and so yet elijah tested her faith by asking give me a morsel of bread okay think about it he passed through 90 miles of the land passing all these people not just 90 miles worth of widows but 90 miles worth of rich people too Anybody and everybody was better off during a famine than this widow woman. And it's it was almost considered wrong to go ask a widow during a famine, hey, give me something to eat. It's like you should not be asking her of all people, don't ask her. She's not the one you should be asking for something to eat. So can you see how Elijah was going against the norm? What was considered proper? What was considered possible? He was defying everything in order to draw this widow woman in so deep so that she could more fully experience the miracle that Elijah knew was about to be given to her. (laughs) Elijah knew she was about to get a great miracle. And so he came to her and that's why he tested her. Because he knew, hey, God's about to do something great for this woman anyway. I don't mind asking her for bread, knowing what God's about to do. But before we move on, let's ask the question: Why does God work like this? I mean, the poorest of the poor, the last one you should be asking for for food. Why does God work like this? I mean, Elijah was being downright rude, if you consider the culture of that day. That was not. That's not nice. You shouldn't ask. Her. You don't go to starving widows and say, hey, give me the last of what you have. I mean, who does this? Why does God work through such lowly, such seemingly impossible, and through such weak people and weak circumstances? I'll show you why. 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. That's why God worked through this lowly widow woman. You see, Elijah had just rebuked a mighty king. And this mighty king was doing lots of wicked things. He was worshiping Baal, not the Lord God. And it was causing all the people of Israel to fall into sin. And lots of people were being hurt. That king needed to be shamed down. For the trouble that he was causing upon God's people. And God was about to use the weakest of the weak. This lowly widow woman who was about to die to shame a mighty king. And you know, guys, this is how God really gets noticed. Because this story just doesn't make sense. (laughs) People would look at this. You asked a widow woman, what? And what happened? And How does that even work? How does that even add up? And then God gets glorified because it just stuns people who think they're all powerful. Wait a minute. I want this. How did you do it? And then God is glorified. Isn't that good? That's another attention getter right there. So let me ask you a question. How do you convince the mega successful people out there that have it all? How do you convince them that there's a better way than their way? Because they have everything, right? They've got all the money and all the luxury and everything that everybody wants. How do you show them there's a better way than their way? By using the not successful to do what the mega successful cannot do. See, the mega successful people that are really doing everything, they can't do it all. And there are things that they can't do that God will show through the week and that will show there's a better way than your way. There's God's way. So this is how the Lord gets glorified, by showing us that all of our own vast experience and strength that we think we have, it does absolutely nothing. So consider that we have a bunch of people who are only using what's available down here on earth. You got your, your celebrities, and they got all their money, and they got all their cars and their big houses, but that's only what's down here on earth. They don't have everything. We think they do, but they don't. Everything they have is confined to the ground on this earth we walk on. But they use these crazy things, this material stuff, to show how great they are. That doesn't show anything. We have our Lord God. He is not limited to worldly things, and he shows how great he is, but he doesn't use worldly things to demonstrate himself. He uses quite the opposite. He works inversely to the pattern that we trust. Oh, we got to have lots of money. you got to have big houses, cars, all this big, great stuff. He works actually opposite to that to show us that trusting in him is better. And this is why God uses the weak and foolish things to glorify himself, because we have to be busted out of our old way of doing things to understand that God's way is what is almighty. He is the almighty God, not us. And so by using weak things, God rattles us out of our thought process because it just staggers our logic. So here you have Elijah. He was sent 90 miles away, passing up thousands, probably, of Israelite widows in order to get to the one widow whose last act, her last act on earth, the last thing she knows she's ever going to do is to eat just a little something before she dies. And yet God said, that's the woman that's going to feed you. (laughs) God, oh, he's awesome. But this sounds backwards. Well, let's get rattled out of our thought processes today, okay? She had no problem going to get Elijah some water. But when he asked her for bread, you notice that's when she recognized him as a prophet because she said, as the Lord, your God lives. Did you catch that? She's not going to say that to just anybody. You got Baal worship all over society, and she said, as Baal lives, she didn't say that she said, as the Lord your God lives. She noticed a little glimmer of something in Elijah, but then that's when she started to express her hopelessness. I'm about to die. I'm gathering sticks. I'm just going to grab a couple sticks. I'm going to heat up this stuff. We're going to eat. We're probably going to be dead by tomorrow. She wasn't expressing so much her her disappointment and her hopelessness that she had. I think she was making a petition to the Lord. She was telling Elijah. Look, I'm about to die. That's all I've got left on here. She sees him as a man of God and she brings her petition through Elijah that she had nothing left to eat. It's kind of like a little cry of help here. 1 Kings 17:13. And Elijah said to her, "Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me and afterward" Make some for yourself <laughs> and your son. <laughs> what? I just told you we didn't have anything left and we're going to die. Make some for yourself, okay? And your son too. For thus says the Lord God of Israel the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he. And her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. Friends, we just saw a miracle happen here. It never ran out. Now, we don't know how it didn't run out. Did God just grow more in the jar, or was somebody led to say, Here, the Lord told me to bring this to you, and I'm going to keep bringing it? We don't know. The fact is, It never ran out. She obeyed even at her very, very last. Friends, I know a bunch of you are worried, God, what are you going to do? I don't have much money left. I don't have much in me left. And you're not wanting to give it because you're afraid if I use this up, I'm going to be done for. You're not. If you trust in the Lord, he will make more from what little you have. So here's a miracle. And people love to see miracles because that's what they want. Everybody wants the big miracle. They love it where God gives them something. Lord, give me something. Give me something. But a key point to observe here is that before the miracle ever happened, Elijah required her to first give to him, make me a cake with whatever you have left. That's how the miracle came back. That's how the blessing came back was because first she had to be obedient to giving, Friend, I want you to really jot this down in your notes. If you want to be given to, you first have to be a giver. So remember, she was planning to die even after eating what was left, but before the miracle. She had to give even what she had. And it wasn't hardly anything at all. She had to give that first. First, Elijah tested her. Give me a drink. Then it was, give me some bread. Then it was, make me a cake. We went from a drink to bread to cake. Okay, one, two, three, stair-stepping up. He kept pushing and he kept testing her to do more, to do more, to do more. Because she needed to have her faith tested so that she could really see the glory of God in this. And so after Elijah heard about how bad her situation really was, because she had faith, oh, listen to this, because she had faith, she said, "As sure as the Lord your God lives, because she had faith. A promise came with this. He says, if you do this, then you will have enough to feed yourself and your son, and you will never run out of it. How many of you would have reacted like the widow did in that situation?
0: Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen of Calvary Chapel, Pearland. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com.
1: Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life.